time. So if you have your Bibles, can we please turn to John 10? God is good all the time. Mm, old school Pentecostals, yes. Does anyone remember that song? Um, how does it go? I don't know what song you guys were singing, <laughs> but I know that one. <laughs> I was actually thinking of, he turned my morning into dancing again. He lifted my sorrow. I can stay silent. I'm a sin for his joy has come. Oh, Ooh, that song, sweet. Mm, amen. Okay, John 10. Verse 1, if you're there, say, I got you. Amazing. Okay, so it says, very truly, so I'm reading from the NIV version. <laughs> it says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep, does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gates for him, and the sheep will listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. Thank you, God, for your word. Amen. So I want to start off with a little story, and it's kind of crazy. And um, this actually happened a few months ago. So um, a lot of you guys in this room know that I moved from Leicester, and I've moved back into my family home. So I'm back with my folks, which is amazing. And um, I am a full-grown adult, and I was very secure in my adulthood, except um, when this particular situation happened a few months ago. And essentially, I think it was after um, we finished a church service and um, I literally just had a hectic week and I went back home and I was like, okay, you know, um, it's time to sleep. And I was sleeping and no exaggeration was around 3 a.m. and I was just having sweet dreams. And then all of a sudden, my bed started shaking. And I was thinking, oh, this is just my dream. And then my bed started shaking again. And I was like, ah, like what is happening? And no exaggeration, the first thought that came into my, um, into my mind is that a stranger is in my bed. <laughs> so, so I quickly ran downstairs, and because um, I'm on the third floor, I ran downstairs and I knocked, Im imagine this is 3 a.m. in the morning, and I was banging on my parents' door, banging on my parents' door. And my mom first answered, and my mom was like, well, is everything okay? I said, no, no, there's something in my bed. And then my mom woke up my dad, and my dad was like, okay, let's go and check it out. He's like, well, this better be good. 
<laughs> and I basically said, like, obviously, I'm an adult. So I can handle it by myself. But just in case, I didn't know what this thing was because I've been watching Men in Black lately and I just got really freaked out. And I basically said, okay, so, Dad, I need you for backup just in case, you know, this thing is bigger than me. You can back me up. I know exaggeration. I actually said that to him. And I remember taking a hockey stick <laughs> that was um, at the side of my room. And I literally just started, like, hitting my bed, hitting my bed. <laughs> And my dad was just like, like Wallo, what's, what's, going, what's going on? And, um, and then literally, um, I, I said to my dad, just wait there. And I literally um, took the duvet and I threw it because I wanted whatever was there to be revealed. And honestly, nothing was there. And then my dad, <laughs> my dad was like, Wallo, like, what's happening? And I literally said, no, don't worry, dad. Like, I'm not confused. I know what I felt. So I literally even removed all the bed sheets and I just took it off, took it off until the mattress was, was bare and there was nothing there. And I just started laughing. Like, hysterically, my dad was like, well, hey, forget this, I'm going back to bed. But what was so comical was that my first, um, my first instinct when I thought like there was change in my bed was to flee. And I want to think of another situation. So imagine if, um, let's say, you're, you're at home again and your dad is hanging out in the living room and then someone knocks on the door and that person says, um, you open the door, the person's really eloquent, the person has lots of treats and um, let's just say he's holding, your, he's holding your favorite cuisine and stuff. And that person said, oh, I want to come into your house. I'm your father. You'll be thinking, no, you're not. My father is, 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 is sitting down in the living room. But that person persists and says, no, I am your father. And the person even calls you and says, come, I'm, I'm your father. Let me into your house. You'll be thinking, okay, this, this is weird. And you'll quickly close the door. And obviously, you might even call the police. Like, you would, you would run away from that situation. And in this particular extract that we read from John 10, it talks about the stranger's voice. And it basically says that the sheep, when they hear the stranger's voice, they flee from it. And in this particular context, I want to talk about the stranger's voice. In this context, the stranger's voice is going to be the enemy's voice. It's going to be the devil's voice. And if you know me personally, I do not really talk much about the devil um, because I believe he's a loser, he's under my feet, and honestly, Jesus Christ has the authority. Amen? Amen. So I don't like to pay too much attention to him by even talking about him. But the reason why I want to talk about how the enemy actually talks and how he perhaps even interacts with even us as believers is because even as Christians, we can sometimes um, conflate God's voice with the enemy's voice, where we actually think it's the same thing. And we actually say this is a similar narrative that we're hearing. And quite often we say God's voice is this when it's actually the enemy's voice talking to us. And the thing is that when we actually follow God's voice versus the enemy's voice, it actually leads to very two different results. And from the extract of John 10, we can see that when the Bible talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's his main motivation. So when you listen to the thief's voice, when you listen to the enemy's voice, his job is to actually erode the um, humanity and to erode the sanity of an individual. And that's what he does. As we can see nowadays, um, 
there's so much trauma that people are facing in terms of their own identity. There's so much confusion, and that's the reality of what the enemy does, that he speaks lies. The Bible talks about how the devil is the father of lies. It goes on to say that when he lies, he's speaking his mother tongue. That is his language, is lies. So when he speaks his lies, his aim is to steal and to kill and destroy what you have. And very often, it, nowadays especially, as, um, as millennials of Generation Z and stuff like that, is to erode the humanity and the sanity of the individual. And um, I, so there's a pastor I know, and um, he told me a story. And he basically said to me, that um, there's this new Satanist who's, who's been coming to his church. And he said, um, so a Satanist is basically someone who glorifies um, Satan and the devil. And he basically said, this individual is really intelligent, really funny, really witty, and he's been coming to his church and stuff to just listen to the sermons and to know more about Jesus. And um, this, this individual was saying to um, the pastor that, do you know, when I was a kid, ever since I was a kid, I've basically been taught that I am an expert in every single field, that I have um, the right to question everything I hear. And he said, even when I was in secondary school, that even when I was in primary school, I was taught from a young age that I have a right to argue with the teacher. So I grew up in a context where I just grew, where I just thought like I am more intelligent, I know everything more than everyone else, and I have the right to question everything. And he said that developed into my secondary years, that even developed into my university experience and stuff like that. Like even if I was a first year, I would question the PhD student. And he basically said it got to the level where he even questioned God himself. And he eroded the narrative and the idea of God so much that he just thought this is a figment of people's imagination. And he even said that it got to a point that he even deconstructed who he was. And he said, with all of his deconstructions, with everything that he felt that, I have basically questioned all the narratives, all the paradigms of society and stuff like that, of all these things that people say that you need is actually just a social construct. He said, I realized that when I looked at my own life, I was left with no foundation. I have questioned and deconstructed everything to the point that I had no foundation and I was left more anxious and depressed than ever before. And like I said before, that is the aim of the enemy when he speaks. To cause us to be so deconstructed that we have no foundation. But however, if we look verses um, to God's voice, the Bible says that the shepherd basically comes to give us life and life to its full. Or some translation says life and life abundantly. And the Bible basically says in John 10 that the good shepherd leads us into pastures. So what does that mean? When we hear the voice of the Lord, it leads us into a place of rest. It leads us into a place of fulfillment. And honestly, a lot of people actually think that when you hear God's voice, that God's voice will lead them more into work. So, for example, if you have sinned, if you perhaps have messed up, you believe that you have to do much more holy things in order to be reconciled with God. So, for example, I've messed up. It means that I am not going to miss a crew session for a whole month. I'm actually going to try and be on time for church. I am actually going to try and read 
uh, my Bible every single day, and I'm going to fast for 80 days. Forget 40. And it sounds comical, but how many of us have, when we've messed up, we've put those expectations on ourselves? That I need to do as many of these holy things as if I need to, um, these holy things will basically reconcile me back to God. And we're getting back into a law mindset. And Jesus Christ came to break the law. No, he came to fulfill the law. And because if we put our hope in Jesus Christ, we don't live under the law. So therefore, even as Christians, why do we have a law mindset? That if I do so-and-so thing, then perhaps God will, be recon- God will reconcile himself back to me. Or in a similar context, if you feel inadequate, you feel like you have to work extra hard and you overperform. But the thing is, God's voice does not align with this narrative. If we look in the sake of sin, in the, in the, in the situation of when we've actually messed up, you know, the woman um, who was caught in the act of adultery is such a great illustration, where essentially she basically was caught sleeping with someone else that was not her husband. And as a result, that whole community brought her out publicly and said, our law says that we are meant to stone this woman. And everyone was ready. Everyone was, for some reason, excited to throw a stone at this lady. And Jesus basically said, he wrote something down on the ground, and God knows what he actually wrote. But he rose up and said, anyone who has not sinned, throw the first stone. And obviously, everyone being convicted, knowing that I have messed up some in some part of my life, walked away and dropped their stones. And the only person that remained was Jesus. Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, who was sinless, said to her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. So that's what God's voice is like. When we have messed up, he's the voice of mercy. He's not the voice of condemnation. And because the Bible says his kindness leads us into repentance. And if we look um, even in the situation of when we feel inadequate, Jesus, who perhaps was the most impressive human being in all of the earth, before he even did any signs and wonders, before he even started his ministry, or if we were to use you know, a, secular, um, a secular term, before he even started his career, God himself, while Jesus was being baptized, the Bible talks about how the heavens were open. And God the Father himself said to Jesus the Son that this is my beloved Son who I am well pleased. So before he did any work, the Lord spoke validation to him. And that's what it's like. The Lord first speaks his validation, his approval. And out of that, that's how our works manifest. It's not the other way around where we have to first get all of our works, where we first have to perform to a certain standard in order for us to actually be seen as validated or approved. Amen? And like, for example, like even when I was in s- secondary school, um, I had a similar paradigm shift, a, a similar mental shift, where I, um, I always felt like I had to work so, so hard in order to prove that I'm intelligent in order to prove that I can actually do this. I always felt like I have to prove one works so, so hard. But then, I don't know how it happened, I just got a mental shift. And my mental shift, and it actually worked for me, my mental shift is, I am intelligent, God, you've given me a mind to reason and to comprehend, therefore, I can do well. And that was my posture, and honestly, that transformed my education. 
where I wasn't working out of a place of insecurity, but I was working out of a place of identity. Amen? And you can tell if your approval comes from your performance or from God by the way you feel when you underperform or when it seems that you've underperformed. Are you perhaps the type of person that's deflated, unmotivated, insecure? And if so, I just want you to hear right now that the Lord speaks. God, the judge of all, speaks validation and his approval over you. That you are approved, you are affirmed in Jesus' name. And you do not need to work for his affection or for his intimacy. And on a similar fashion, sometimes we feel like God is not close to me. I can't hear God's voice because of what I said before, because we have messed up. And because we have messed up, it means that God has actually kept himself at arm's distance. And it will take at least two years for us to start to be close and intimate with God. But that's not the truth. In Psalms, it says this, the Lord is close to all those who hearts are crushed by pain. And he's always ready to restore the repentant one. I'll read that again. The Lord is close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain. And he's always ready to restore the repentant one. And if we look in the situation of David, David was known as a person that had the heart, who had a heart after God. And honestly, I still read that and I think that's crazy because that's not the David I know, not that I knew him personally. But that's not the David that I would honestly, I would give that final title. Because some of us who know the story of David and Bathsheba, and if you don't know the story, it literally goes like this. David, who was the king, and he was um, walking um, on top of the rooftop, and he saw a lady in another household bathing, and her name was Bathsheba. He saw her bathing, and um, what happened was that he basically said that, I want to have sex with her. So he basically um, got some of his officials to call her over, and he had sex with her. And as we saw, even though Bathsheba was a married woman, and what happened was that Bathsheba later came on, um, later on came and said that I am pregnant. And David wanted to hide this pregnancy. So basically, he called uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and basically said, come back from the war, from for, because the region was basically in war in that particular time. He said, come back from war and take a break from your battle to come and spend time with your family. Come and spend time with Bathsheba. And the Bible even talks about how David basically tried to even intoxicate um, Uriah. So basically, he would perhaps be more, yeah, just use your imagination. <laughs> so, and, but you know, Uriah, he was such a noble man. What did he do? He basically said, how can I be, be back home enjoying my wife when all of my brothers and my fellow soldiers are still fighting? So as a result, the Bible says that he went um, outside the palace and he slept outside with all of the master's servants. So because um, Uriah did not sleep with Bathsheba, David was like, okay, do you know what I need to do? I need to put Uriah in the fiercest place of where the battle was happening. And that's what David did, and Uriah died. And this was David. This was what he's known as. But meanwhile, if we look at Psalms, David was the same person that God showed so much revelation to, that God spoke so intimately to him, that God literally showed crazy visions 
about the coming Messiah, about becoming um, savior of the world, which was Jesus. And if you think this was a guy who had this track record, who had this past, but yet the Lord did not keep himself arms, arms distance with him. So how much more us? I don't think many of us has actually got someone killed because we're trying to hide a secret sin. I don't think, well, if you want to confess, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can speak to me later. <laughs> but many of us haven't done that. But this is such a great illustration that the Lord is not, is not going to keep your arms reached just because you have messed up. The Bible says that he's ready to restore the person who's repenting, the person that knows I have messed up. I, and the, the Bible says, I will come close. God will come close to him. Amen? So in times of pain, in times of brokenness, in times of when we've messed up, God is close and he's ready to restore us. He is not the voice of condemnation. He's ready to lead us into a place of rest, into freedom, and he's a voice ready to dignify us again. And anything else besides that is the stranger's voice. And quite often, it's the enemy's perspective. And I just want us to quickly look at different ways that the enemy has spoken um, to people in scripture. So the Bible actually calls in Revelation the devil, the accuser of the brethren. So if I was to explain this, basically, um, another translation is the accuser of the believers, the accuser of the Christians. And one commentator says this, that the devil is employed in bringing Christian charges against them, affecting their character and destroying their influence. So he reminds us of our past mistakes. He reminds us of our, of our current shortcomings and defaults. And he attaches it to our personhood. And he attaches it to the type of person that we are. And honestly, it takes the grace of God to get over this. It really takes the grace of God because if you do not have the grace of God, it can lead you into a state of hopelessness and depression. And that's why the enemy constantly torments people about their shortcomings because he wants to erode that individual. And even one of Jesus' closest disciples, he actually got it wrong. And even though he was a person who was in close proximity with Jesus, close fellowship with Jesus, he still sometimes, in this particular context, he still heard the enemy's perspective. So if we turn to Matthew chapter 16, you can take a look at that. Verse 13. 16. So Matthew 16, verse 13. When you're there, say, I've got you. Okay, awesome. Okay, so it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Well, what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, bless you are Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So Peter right here actually heard the Lord speak to him and give him revelation on who Jesus is. 
verse 18. And it says, I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to tell anyone, to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief and the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must kill and that he must be killed, and on the third day he will be raised to life. 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whew. The King James Version, I love it. It says, get ye behind me, Satan. Hey. Anyway, it says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the mind um, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So imagine, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter actually hears the Lord speak to him, and he says that you are the Messiah. And as a result, obviously, because Peter, who loved Jesus, who didn't want Jesus to die, when Jesus was actually shown a prophetic word, when Jesus was actually prophesying, of oh, this is the next thing I'm actually going to step into, Peter said, never. Another translation actually says, God forbid. He, it was, <laughs> imagine, he was even using God's, anyway. <laughs> but it actually says, God forbid. But Jesus rebukes him and says that you only have the concerns of man on your heart. You're only looking at this from a human viewpoint. And very often, the stranger's voice can sound like fear disguised as wisdom. I'll say that again. The stranger's voice can sound as fear disguised as wisdom or logic. And even for Imprint London, so when we actually um, first started getting prophetic words about Imprint London, we decided, okay, we're going, to, we're going to have a showcase. And we're going to really partner with the, the, with the word that the Lord is calling us, um, also from Leicester, to plant into London. And we're like, okay, we're going to have a showcase for the first time outside of Leicester into London. So as a result, um, some of the guys and I, we actually went to different venues. And we went to venues that were perhaps, um, that would fit like three to 400 people in the city of London. And as you can tell, um, this city is crazy. It's very expensive. And honestly, I, ha I, was, I was full of faith at the time. And I was like, yes, God, you are calling us to London. We'll have a showcase in London. And after looking at all these different buildings and all these different venues and stuff and theater places, I now asked the person who was showing us around, okay, um, how much will it be? And they said, 10 grand. I said, eh? I said, 10 grand, what type of lighting do you have in here? Is your, are you shining down gold or something? Why are you charging 10 grand? And they're like, yes, that's 10 grand. We now went to another venue. Another venue said 15 grand. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I do know. And I remember, honestly, going back to um, the guys in Leicester. And because obviously at the time, especially for a new church plant, that was a lot of money. And I remember saying to the guys in Leicester, do you know what, guys? I've discerned it. God is not calling us to London. I've never seen it, the meeting. I said, I've discerned it. God is not calling us to London. 
And obviously, everyone was very confused. So, like, when we prayed about this, we've received a lot of prophetic words. I said, oh, it's all wrong. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, test every prophecy. <laughs> I, said, it's all, I said, it's all wrong. <laughs> God will not call us to London when he knows we can't afford it. That's, that's, honestly, that was my logic. That's what I actually said. And I remember um, a few days after that, um, the Lord honestly rebuked me. And he didn't rebuke me in, in a way where it's like he came out from the clouds with a long beard and said, I strike thee. No, what he actually was like, well, uh, your perspective is not aligned with my perspective. And he basically said, just because you have a financial limitation doesn't mean it wasn't me talking to you. And he told me, still press forward. And as a result, some actually, some organizations heard that we wanted to have a showcase. So they said, we're going to sponsor you guys. We will give you guys some grants for the showcase. And also some venues, they heard that we wanted to have a showcase. And they said, um, we'll dramatically cut the price of this venue that we normally charge. Venues that they normally use for um, London Fashion Week and stuff. They said that we'll cut the prices um, so you guys can have this showcase. And just imagine, I literally had, like Peter, a human viewpoint and said, this can't be God. It, I literally used, what happened to me was that it was simply fear disguised as wisdom, as logic. And honestly, when you even, there's been so many situations where people have said things to me um, that sounded like wisdom, that sounded really logical. But honestly, after discerning it, it was just fear. And, I, and, and even some close ones to me, I'm like, I love you, but I can't receive what you're saying to me because that's not God's viewpoint. And that's not God's narrative. Yeah. And if we can also um, turn to our last biblical um, reference for tonight. If you turn to Matthew 4. And we're going to look at one final way that the stranger, the enemy, was speaking. When you're there, say, I've got you. Awesome. So Matthew 4, verse 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he would command his concerning, he would command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord God to test. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's my guy. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. For it is written, <laughs> worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Can we just clap for Jesus? That's my guy. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so yeah, so I'm going to go into the temptation. So three different ways that Jesus was spoken to um, by the stranger's voice um, and by, in this context, the devil. So the first way was that the tempter was basically calling him and appealing to him to pursue indulgence and pleasure. So the call was very hedonistic. And indulgence says that if you consume on me, then this will satisfy your craving. And in Jesus' um, particular example, he was fasting, so obviously he was hungry. He was physically craving for food. And the tempter was basically saying, if you actually turn these stones into bread, it will satisfy you. But Jesus said to him, only, only, um, let's read it again. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was saying that the thing that actually sustains me is hearing my father speak. And it's the same for us. The thing that sustains me is hearing our father speak, God the father speak. And the enemy says that, says that we can use all sorts of things to actually fulfill our inner craving. So this could be emotionally and mentally, physically, and spiritually. And for example, some of these things that we actually use to fulfill our inner craving could be like this. Netflix, food, coffee, oh boy, God. Sexual activities, and even a friend or a relationship. And the thing is, like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm one for friends and, you know, great accountability and stuff like that. But sometimes we actually go to our friends to fulfill our inner cravings. And they weren't meant to be a person that you constantly drink from. There's only one living water, and that comes from Jesus. Amen? And the thing about God's voice, God's voice will always, when he speaks to you, he will always lead you back to himself. The stranger's voice will always lead you back to something else. It will always say something like, okay, you're tired, let's go and do this. You're stressed, let's go and do this. It would lead you away from God. But God's voice will always lead him back to himself. And that's one thing that the Pharisees hated about Jesus. It's because they wouldn't just speak about, he wouldn't just speak about God, but he would actively bring people to himself. He was saying, I am the life, I am the truth. That's what he said. So the second way that the stranger um, spoke was that the stranger's um, voice appealed to appeal to Jesus's um, w was an appeal to ego. And but essentially, what was happening here that the devil was saying um, to Jesus that you know what the Bible basically talks about um, the scriptures talks about that if you honestly okay. So let me explain this again. So what the tempter was saying was that throw yourself off a cliff because, you know, the scripture says that the angels will protect you. They will catch you. So basically, um, the, the tempter was basically trying to get Jesus to, to become impressive where everyone can basically see Jesus and be like, how did this guy fall off a cliff and nothing harmed him? Was basically appealing to his ego and say, come, everyone will basically see how impressive we are. And the stranger's voice appeals to our ego. It says, come and do this, 
or come and even wear this in order for people to notice you. Come and look impressive. And honestly, in my life, there's times when I hear narratives in my mind. I'm just going to be transparent. I hear narratives in my mind. Oh, well, they do this, act like this, da-da-da-da. It'll make you look impressive. It'll make you get noticed. And I'm very intentional not to partner with those things. And the reason why I don't partner with those things, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just feel like I actually need to share something. Yeah, I was like, so for example, um, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, so for, so for example, uh, so when I was in university, uh, when I was in university, I always used to post like, um, what do you even call it? Like one of those like buff boys pictures. Do you know what I mean? It's cool. You're my community. I can be transparent with you. But do you know what I mean? Like, what do they call it? Is there a name for it? Thirst trap. What? Well, that's what I'm hearing. I don't even know what that is. Thirst trap. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so one of the so one of those pictures. And honestly. Maybe it's just me, okay? Because I know all of all of you guys are saved, all of you guys are redeemed, all of you guys, you know, you know, no one struggles like me. Yeah? God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. So um yeah, so I used to even wait for um a certain time. Mm-hmm. We're gonna post this picture. Oh, and the comments, fire, 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 da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
<laughs> but I remember a few years ago, uh, my family and I were in Hong Kong. And I was so excited because we went to Hong Kong um, over the Christmas break. And the reason why I was excited is because I knew Hong Kong was eight hours in front of the UK. And it was during Christmas time. So I basically said, wow, I am going to be eight hours in front of the everyone in the UK. And I basically have a head start when it comes to the Boxing Day sales. And I was ready. Honestly, I woke up early and honestly, on, I remember going on Top Man's Hour, all these places, and literally it was Boxing Day sales. Meanwhile, everyone in the UK was sleeping, and I was there awake with my laptop. And I, and I just add, and I started adding different things to my basket, different things to my basket, and I was, I was so full of joy. I was so excited. I was so full of joy, just adding, thinking, all oh, my mates are sleeping. <laughs> Me, I'm shopping. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking. God. <laughs> I literally, that's what I was thinking. And then my parents now said, oh, and well, let's go out. Let's let's do something. So we now went out. We basically spent the whole day out. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll buy all of these things later. So there was one particular trainers that were like burgundy trainers with a gold piping to represent righteousness. I'm joking. It wasn't for that. But it was just, it was just, it was just, it was just um, burgundy trainers with gold piping. I was like, these trainers are my spy. And it was in my basket. So tell me why after um, we go out, I come back home, I, I log into I log into back um, I log ah, can't even speak English. I log back into my laptop and um, I see that my trainers have been removed from my basket. And I said the devil's a liar. And I refreshed this page so many times and the trainers were not there. Guess what? The UK people have woken up and my trainers were gone. And you know what? Oh, I was so upset that day. I literally, my family can remember, I told every member of my family, my heart is grieved. <laughs> that was the language I was using. I said, my heart is grieved. My heart is grieved. And literally, that's what my parents were saying. Because of, because of, because of trainers, your heart is grieved. And I just went back to the hotel room. And I was literally, and I was like, you know what? My parents don't understand. Maybe God, you will understand. And I basically, I was just saying, I can't believe I was saying this, but I was basically just saying, God, my heart is grieved. How can my burgundy trainers with gold piping be removed from me? And the Lord just spoke to me, and this is quite dramatic. The Lord just spoke to me, and he was like, do you want me to show you what grieves my heart? And when he said that, I just started crying. Like, I was, I bursted in tears, and I was crying, like, literally heavy sobbing for 45 minutes. And as I was crying, and the Lord was just saying to me, my people are perishing. Millions of people do not know me. And he was just showing me visions of individual after individual of people that do not know him. And he was saying, this is what grieves my heart. And I remember after that 45 minutes or something, and I basically just repented and I said, God, I've got my priorities in hand. I am, I am saying my heart is grieved because of trainers. <laughs> because of she. <laughs> But meanwhile, I didn't know that I was actually, I had such a materialist heart. And um, I just want to conclude because we've gone slightly over. Apologies for that. So if we know that God's voice is one of mercy, validation, approval, one that calls us further into freedom and forgiveness, and the stranger's voice and the enemy in this context aims to bring condemnation, the remembrance of sin, Fear disguised as wisdom, the indulgence um, 
indulgence to fulfill our physical and spiritual cravings, to propel our ego and materialist heart, then what do we do when we hear these voices? What do we do when we hear these narratives that basically partner with all of those things? And I just want us to go back to John 10 that says, this is how the sheep respond when they hear a stranger. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. And I just want to petition us tonight that as a community, as um, believers, let's not partner with the stranger's voice. Let's be what the Bible talks about as sheep when we hear those those strange doctrines, when we hear those strange narratives, we say, sorry, I'm not, I'm not partnering with them. Amen.